And I'm concerned that if we lose agriculture, we don't just lose the food and the fiber and our leadership in the world, but we lose the culture of agriculture. And that culture is one of loving the land, caring for it, being um, generous to our communities, uh, and, and to being really good citizens. And the importance of the culture of agriculture, I think, is every bit as important at what people in agriculture grow and supply to the world. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Almost 50 years ago, the Agricultural Council of America started National Ag Day. Since then, across America, agriculture has been recognized and celebrated on a day or all week in March of every year. It is based on the belief that every American should understand how food and fiber products are produced, appreciate the role agriculture plays in providing safe, abundant, and affordable products, value the essential role of agriculture in maintaining a strong economy, acknowledge and consider career opportunities in agriculture, food, and fiber industry. Today on Farm to Table Talk, we're at Farm Day on the steps of the Capitol Building in Sacramento, California, where government officials, FFA, farm organizations, and the public are gathering to listen and join in conversations about agriculture, where in California, many are still surprised to learn that this state of 40 million people ranks number one in agriculture. Most of the fruits and vegetables grown in the United States come from California, including over 99% of figs, almonds, garlic, artichokes, honeydew, sweet rice, plums, raisins, walnuts, peaches, olives, nectarines, pistachios, clover, kiwi, onions, flowers, apricots, and pomegranates. However, the story is more than the food produced. It's also the culture in agriculture. As he steps from the stage at Ag Day, California Senator Jim Patterson explained to me and to the live audience from around the world that are with me on Clubhouse why that matters. Excuse me, just a second. Hey, Senator? Hi. Hey, Roger Watson. Yeah. You made some comments that were great. I've got some people on right now that I was just telling them what happened. I wondered if you could repeat this phrase you said about culture and agriculture. Sure. Could you? What was it, sure. that? Sure. I'm really concerned that agriculture is in some, some very serious challenges in the state of California. And I'm concerned that if we lose agriculture, we don't just lose the food and the fiber and our leadership in the world, but we lose the culture of agriculture. And that culture is one of loving the land, caring for it, being um, generous to our communities, uh, and, and to being really good citizens. And the importance of the culture of agriculture, I think, is every bit as important at what people in agriculture grow and supply to the world. And so I'm hoping that this building will stop just simply uh, 
touting words and phrases about supporting agriculture and pay attention to agriculture. When they come to our committees, when they say that this is going to hurt agriculture, we need to be listening instead of simply ignoring them. And so I hope that we do a whole lot more than showing up for Ag Day. I hope we show up in our committees and on the floor of the legislature and stop legislation that hurts agriculture and support legislation that helps it. I really appreciate your stopping because I love what I heard you say and this whole crowd here at Ag Day did as well. Why don't you introduce yourself? Because I've got listeners right sure. now from Argentina and oh Canada goodness. and England and all over the United States well, that are on this clubhouse yeah, room right now. Uh, my, my name is Jim Patterson. Uh, I was the mayor of Fresno for eight years. I now serve in the California legislature representing Central California. And uh, agriculture uh, is really important to me. And I care about agriculture, the agricultural workers. And we have to make sure that we stop uh, patronizing agriculture with our words and start voting for them with our deeds. Senator, we got to start by getting more like you. And I want to thank you for what Appreciate you're doing that. for agriculture and taking a few minutes to speak to this group in Clubhouse. Take care. Good to be with you. Thank right, you. Thanks. Well, did you folks listening on Clubhouse hear that? Loud and clear. Yeah, that was that was amazing. What a piece. I tried to do a clip there, and I hope I got all of it, because that was, that was, yeah, that's the attitude we want all our politicians to have. You know what? And that was, this is what I do for careful advanced planning. He was just walking by when I was talking to you folks, and I'd heard him, because I took that break, you know, to hear the different uh, people get up there and to speak. And I thought that was an original moving um, explanation. He did the same thing when he spoke to this group that's got students and politicians and, you know, just general kind of leadership right on the steps of the, of the state capitol. And he, he again made me proud to be part of agriculture. And I'm uh, glad the rest of you heard that as heard that as well. Any, anybody else have any he comments. I, I love the thing about culture, not just producing food. What do you think, Laura? I feel like farmers are already, yeah, we're already like that. We want to take care of our community. I mean, it's, I think I'm luckier uh, on the East Coast because uh, we have a lot of bills uh, that are going up right now uh, that are for agriculture. So I guess I'm lucky in this tiny little state of Massachusetts. Yeah, I think what he's kind of say, saying is how, you know, uh, fellow politicians and a lot of the urban community do not have appreciation for the culture that is the farm community. And and we are a niche because it's such a, a small percentage of the population now, but it was not a niche. It was the mainstream just 150 years ago that everyone was from a rural community for the most part. I think they said before World War II, um, uh, 50% of the population in the U.S. and Canada lived on a, 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 a farm of some sort, whether they worked off the farm or not. And I think in the 19-teens turn of the, um, the century, that I think it was more like 70 or 80% or something of, of people were living in, in rural communities uh, on rural land, whether they worked in town or not. Um, and so, yeah, I think he's talking about preserving that. And that's, that's a pretty special thing to hear from a politician. Yeah, I think... Yeah, uh, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I was thinking that, you know, if you look at the word agriculture, it's a culture built around soil. And really, that that's a definition of our whole society. Unfortunately, um, over the 
last few decades, um, we've become ostracised a little bit in our numbers and also in attitudes. But Laura was right, like within our uh, farming community, we're still uh, very nice to each other. We still have a great lifestyle. It's very hard work and we, we battle to survive sometimes. But there's still um, that great culture within our community. But I, and I think what's happened, though, is we've been uh, disconnected with our consumers as the cities have become larger. And we just need to rebuild that connection. And that's part of the, the journey here that we are on Clubhouse. So. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a great point. And it, it also is one of the things that I think is appealing, uh, because when I talk to so many people that uh, aren't farmers now and they really want to be, I really think that's largely what they're looking for. I mean, I've just, I'm getting pitches to be on my podcast, and so they'll have the a PR person or somebody else will contact me and say, would you like to talk to so-and-so? And more and more, I'm hearing from people that are really successful in some business, often high-tech anymore, and and what's you say, well, what's missing in your life? You already got a couple of houses and a Tesla or two, and uh, what else do you need other than running this business? And I think what they're looking for is the culture that you're referring to, that uh, it's kind of a lifeline uh, to say, gee, if I can't be a farmer full-time, I want to do as much of it as I can because it makes me feel better. Um, yeah, I feel more complete for me and my family to be able to have this be part of our part of our life. I think too, Roger, uh, what's going to happen is that uh, as, a as a society and a community, we to and fro, we go backwards and forwards with different ideas. Like one time we thought plastic plastic bottles was a great idea or plastic bags and then it's so cheap, it's really good. And then we end up with, you know, too much of that in the sea and rivers and goodness knows what. And we and we sort of, we take that back a bit and we try and fix that problem. And I think a lot of people have gone to the city and uh, over the last 50 years perhaps and, you know, maybe for some it's not really turning out how they they remembered or, or, or thought it might be and I feel that there's going to be a big move back to the land and there seems to me a lot of little farms popping up and they're trying a few acres of vegetables which is normally the first rung in, in agriculture because it's cheap to set up it's a product that has very mobile and easy to market and to me I feel that there's going to be a, a, you know, a revolution or re-evolution of our, our, our society through these smaller farms so that's just my little prediction I feel like I've already experienced that I, um, Mike will appreciate this I used to do a farmer's market in South Station in Boston where it was in the financial district and it, people were taking the trains to get to work around these big buildings and people were so miserable I always had people coming to me saying I want to be you I want to be a farmer do you think I can be a farmer and then with the pandemic I feel like, well, actually, that farmer's market couldn't uh, sustain itself because nobody was taking the trains. And a lot of people stayed home, became homesteaders. I know so many families that are now, um, they have a homestead. They're not sending their kids to public schools because they don't like what the public schools are doing. And they're realizing they can grow their own food. Uh, so I already see it happening here, which is, I think it's an awesome thing. Uh, yesterday, I was listening to um, The Lean Farm by Ben Hartman, who's an Illinois small market gardener. And uh, and he was, you know, he, he mentions how small farms are thriving across the world. 
and you know they have been thriving in certain uh, countries forever, and and they are thriving here in North America, even though big ag is still creates the majority of the food. Small producers are doing just fine, and and have been for a long time. And there's a ton of new entrants. Like I talk about, uh, you know, the craft brewery industry here in BC, Canada. It's the craft cannabis industry, and and the craft food industry is just on par with those. We're just not quite getting as much press, but but it's coming. Um, and and you know, you guys are reminding me of something that I often say. You guys have probably heard me say it before, but how <clears throat> how. You know, city jobs, the automation is putting labor, laborers out, and so they're looking to move to s- smaller communities where they can actually afford something. And then, um, and then, like Laura was talking about how the professionals in town, they have the opportunity to work from home now, and so they can move further away from town, whether they still have to commute uh, a couple times a week or a couple times a month or not, they can move to these rural communities and become the landowners. And then the laborers who are moving to these smaller communities they can then become the tenant farmers and lease the land from the professionals who can afford the land, and then the uh, laborers can build their businesses there, and the and the professional can gain the benefit and the uh, the excitement and the interest in being involved in a farming operation, though they can maintain their city jobs. So I think you know, as talk talks about or Mark talks about the revolution or evolution, I, I really feel like you know we're going to see that increase in opportunity for tenant farmers and for landholders and for people to be involved in their food systems again. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Ben. Even myself, like, we were big farmers and we had, like, 400 acres and, and 300 cows and it was such a grind and so unpleasant in that you just did the same thing every day and I decided at 48 years old to move back to a smaller farm. One, so I could grow all the different uh, aspects of food, all the different, lots of different products, so I didn't have to buy as much, and so I could have a, a guaranteed quality, healthy supply of food. And there's a big saving on money. Like you know, we save probably ten thousand dollars a year, and that's ten thousand dollars that you don't have to earn and get taxed on. And I find that maybe people are thinking that way too. That is, you know, we're, we're taxed so heavy nowadays. Why can't I do a few more things that I did that I can do myself? And that my grandmother used to do. 50 years ago and, and uh, you know, start, start taking up some of those old things that uh, our grandparents used to use to survive. So I feel it's a, a re-evolution of that, that experience. You know, I can, I can remember when uh, we used to refer to hobby farmers and uh, I think people that were living full-time with what their own farm when I was growing up tend to be kind of dismissive of what they quote called hobby farmers. And then later that kept evolving into people that needed to have a job in town in addition to the farm. And, uh, you know, I think the, the whole attitude and what people are seeking just keeps just keeps evolving. And, uh, and now, you know, it's almost the norm that there has to be at least one person in a family that's living, doing something off a farm. And then what I find interesting, too, is it works the other way around, that somebody that's already a millionaire what they find missing is that they need to do some farming too. So it's even if they have the large income, they want to supplement with farm for what it's doing for their soul, I guess, rather than what's just doing for their pocketbook. So it's a real interesting time. Uh, just kind of remind ourselves, uh, observe what's going on. And then I think it's also interesting too, Laura, that different areas of the country and the world. We as farmers like the idea of selling direct to the consumers. We wanted something simple, something that we could get into the city with and without, with low cost. So the farmers markets are really that thing. We have more um, 
control over where we put our our tent and where we where we trade. And if we're out of the shops as such, then like Laura experienced, we're out of their control. So I believe that the farmers markets are sort of what you're what you're talking about. Sorry, Melanie, I'll just quickly mention um, there is a challenge with small farmers only being able to produce so much. So um, there is a concept of the public market where it's a publicly owned nonprofit or whatever society owns the business or owns the building. And then um, individual farmers can rent a space there. Um, and at, at a fair trade, low cost, not at a profit, you know, profit lease kind of thing. So that's a good option. Um, the challenge is for like small farmers like myself um, and, and maybe Mark and Laura and they're in the same boat where I only have enough product for like a one day a week farmer's market. Maybe I could increase to a two day a week farmer's market. But in a public market or something, so long as there's like the vegetable sand and then, you know, um, say a couple of different farmers, you know, choose their days that they have that the vegetable sand and come drop off their product so that there is, you know, a consistent flow and a communication and a cooperation between a couple farmers that can supply enough that seven days a week those shelves are stocked with similar products at least. Um, and then also, you know, so long as it's on a regular regime, then the customer can get used to, oh, if I can only get Ben's meat on a Wednesday and a Saturday, well, I'll make sure to do my shopping on those days. But I'll also stop into the market on a Monday night because I know Mark's going to have his um, specialty greens on that day, but I can't get them the other days of the week. So, you know, it has to be, it just has to be very well organized and, and, a, um, and a cooperative initiative to make sure that seven days a week or, or five days a week that, that customers can find what they're looking for. But it's a challenge with small farmers that can only grow so much. But I've been across the country recently in four or five different states uh, in the last few weeks. And I'm amazed. I go into supermarkets and all the food choices that are there. And I, yeah, I love it. Supermarkets are loaded with, you know, with lots of good choices. And if you stick around, you can go to the farmer's market. And you find that almost every community is having promoting people to grow foods in their own backyards and community gardens and institutions looking at trying to source as much as they can local. It's an exciting time to be in agriculture. And I think even though we complain a lot about things we don't like about the food system, it's amazing how well it finds a way to balance out. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson.